Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you can relate to the struggle of temptation and immediate gratification, right? Could you feel their pain? Totally could feel their pain. That one girl, she didn't care, did she? She went right for it. She's probably a preacher's kid is what I thought whenever I watched that. But uh, we relate. We all relate to the struggle. We're continuing in this uh, series on the life of Joseph as we uh, are going to continue looking today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. And the temptation and this desire for immediate, immediate gratification is something that every single one of us, we relate to. We get that struggle. You could see the agony on some of their faces. You could see how close some of them would come to the line. I crack up every time I see the boy kiss the marshmallow, right? He's like, I'm going to get as close as I can to crossing this line, but I'm not crossing the line. And it's just part of our fallen world that we live in. We're going to deal with temptation. You can't escape that. And so I'm going to just start off just immediately giving you some points to write this down if you're taking notes. Temptation's inevitable. You don't clep out of this. It's something that, that you are going to experience. And, and because it's inevitable, we don't want to stick our head in the sand as a church well, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible shows us, you know, uh, that we see that there are great men and women of God who dealt with temptation. Even Jesus himself dealt with temptation. All right, here's another, the second thing to write down is that temptation mismanaged. If you don't manage it, it can be a total life changer for you. If you don't manage that temptation and know how to handle it whenever it's upon you, then it can be a game changer in your life. And certainly eating a marshmallow at that point is not going to change your life, right? Unless you eat a, like a wheelbarrow full of them or something of that nature. But, but the reality is, is that some of the things that we are tempted with on a regular basis, if you succumb to that temptation and you don't manage it properly and know how to press through that or resist it or whatever, it totally will affect your life. It totally can alter the whole trajectory of your life life, one bad decision can impact your life and also the lives of the people who are in your family as well as others around you. Amen, right? I mean, one bad decision can totally alter your life. And I love the video because it really shows the basis and just the basic uh, struggle. It shows that we all are struggling with this. And especially whenever we think nobody is watching, right? That's when we find a little bit out about ourselves. We find who we really are whenever we're put in those kinds of situations where we think nobody is watching. My wife, she is a teacher at Eagle Mountain Elementary. She teaches fourth grade. And uh, she came home to me one day and she said, I got to ask this question today. You're going to love it. And I was like, what's the question? She said, one of the fourth grader, fourth grade girl in her class asked her this, Mrs. Howe, why is it that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Why is that? <laughs> You never know what you're going to get asked by children, right? And Hope tried to navigate through that, and I would love to talk to their parents, right, and find out what they've been saying. But, but it's a profound question, really, when you think about this. Vegas has certainly embraced and even tapped into the mindset of just yielding to immediate gratification, the desires that are all around us that we're saturated with regularly, visually, stimulation, and, and, and what they've tapped into is in we'll keep your anonymity. We'll, we'll allow you to keep that, and you can keep our, it'll just be our secret. The, 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 the thing that's communicated is nobody has to know. And so they're kind of like throwing fuel on the fire there. It's just our secret. But here's the deal, is that secrecy truly is a catalyst. It's that catalyst to that fire of temptation. 
when there's secrecy and we think no one's watching. And let me just quickly give you some types of temptation that you've all experienced. We all go through it at one time or another. Material temptation is something that we certainly encounter. We can lust for things to satisfy us. We can expect that if we get enough money or we get that, that specific amount of, uh, of money in our life or that particular status of that neighborhood, and this isn't, this isn't saying it's wrong to have things or to have money or anything like this. It's just whenever, it's when the things or the lust for those things ends up possessing us, right? Our possessions possess us, as we've said before. We can lust after things that we can't afford and then succumb to the temptation to buy those things and then end up in a prison of debt. It happens all the time to people where we don't know how to resist that. So there's material temptation. There's positional temptation. This is where we can have an unhealthy desire for fame or authority. Or here's a big word that many people lust after, the desire for power. And we want that power. And maybe we find our identity in our position or our status in life. Uh, It's not wrong to be a CEO or to be president of the company, or some can lust after the title senior pastor or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Where we can find our identity or think that power is what is going to satisfy us. And really what the root is of all of that is this thing called pride. And we can really just seek to have pride in our life. And, and you know, and, and that's what we can lust after. And that, as the, the scripture calls it, the pride of life. But here's the third thing that we're really going to focus more in on today because this is what we see happening in Joseph's life. Is we see what we would call sensual temptation, which is the lust for another person. More specifically, and just being very direct and candid, or their body to satisfy us. This is without a doubt the one that we are most likely just barraged with on a regular, just daily, through the visuals of media, television, movies, commercials. Advertisers know that sex sells. And so that's what they attempt to do. You'll see it through imagery. You'll see it through innuendos now in, in advertising. And I mean, you can't, even, you can't even go to buy a loaf of bread at the grocery store without being attacked with the images just in the aisle right there, right? Where you'll see, and again, there's, we're just having a candid talk today about this. You're trying to buy bread, then you look on one side, there's this magazine here that's talking about the juicy gossip of all the celebrities and who's you know, sleeping where and doing this. And it's like, wow, that's on one side. And then on the other side, there's imagery that you're kind of attacked with, uh, depending upon whatever magazine it is. And it's not even pornography stuff. But, but, but again, advertisers know They know that sex sells. They know that there's an enticement there. It's inevitable. It's everywhere. We're saturated with it. If you don't manage it, it can change your life. It's a life changer. Here's the other thing that if you're taking notes, write this down, is temptation is impartial. Nobody is immune to this. I don't care who you are. You're not immune to this. It's no respecter of persons. In fact, you, you never clep out of this. You don't, you don't get too old for temptation. You don't get too spiritual. Uh, you know, every figure in the scriptures encountered some kind of temptation into sin. They, they were tempted. Even Jesus, right? We know that he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself. And we know that, and this is a good lesson for us, that the temptation is not sin, The temptation isn't the sin, it's what we do with the temptation, okay? Because Jesus was tempted, but he was sinless. 
He was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He was sinless, as Scripture says. We'll look in Genesis 39, but let me show you a few quick Scriptures here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 in the ESV says this, For we do not have a high priest, that's speaking of Jesus, um, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been, what does it say, church? Tempted. Jesus was tempted just like we are. Um, As we are, now this is the key though, yet without sin. Without sin, he resisted the temptation. He he combated it with the word of God, as I'll share something with you in in a moment here. And just to show you, and just to personalize this for you today, to show you how inevitable, inevitable it is, how unpredictable it is, how impartial, and what a potential game changer temptation mismanaged in our lives can be with the intent of full disclosure and just talking very plainly and just just opening my life up to you uh, as I try to every week and just being transparent with you, uh, my church family. I want to share with you uh, an attack uh, uh, that I went under last summer of just a temptation that was just a, that just came right at me. And I'm going to share this very just candidly with you as I, a blatant spiritual attack that I encountered last summer. Last summer was we were in our series on Proverbs and we were working through the book of Proverbs and we were just following the major themes of the book of Proverbs, right? God's word. And I happened to do a message one Sunday uh, as we were in chapters five through seven. And it was this theme of as Solomon is teaching on avoiding the snares of sexual immorality. And so I preached on that last summer. And uh, again, just following the scripture there. And, and le- let me say what happened is the very next day that I was on a plane to Montreal and uh, we were going, I was going with uh, Jerry Maxwell, who's one of our elders, is in the first service today. And I was going with Pastor Danny, our worship pastor. And we were going there with the intent. We'd been invited to come to a conference there for church planters in Montreal. We are partnering with what God, with church planters up there, with what God is doing in this incredible church planting movement that's happening up there. The Quebecois people group, as you've heard me say many times, they're the most unreached people group in all of North America. Less than one half percent, one half of one percent are involved in church. They don't know Christ. And there's a lot of hopelessness there. But God is doing a mighty work in the churches that are being planted there. There's a new energy and a new, just God's hand is all over this. And I'm sad to say this, because God's hand is all over this, they are also under an immense attack. And we had uh, we'd been told by uh, by the consultant that we work with up there that there had actually been a couple of church planners that had succumbed to sexual temptation and that had some moral failures. They had wrecked their lives, they had wrecked their families, and they were shipwrecking uh, the very new vulnerable churches that had been planted there. And I just want to say, because God is at work up there, Satan was going after them, was trying to take them out. Because of what is happening there and people are coming to Christ and millennials up there who, who ha, are so unchurched were coming to faith in Christ and now they're, they were having to deal with this, this sad situation in some of these churches where there was a moral failure. So the day that we, after I preached this message on avoiding the snares of sexual immorality, we had been invited to come and speak to those church planters uh, so that they would finish well. We'd been invited to come and talk to them. In fact, this, uh, this bracelet here that I wear, it says life in balance, and it, and it says this, uh, finish the race. 
And that was what we were going to be speaking to them about, giving every one of those church planners this to remember this. If you want to finish well, your life needs to be in balance. And so we were going there to encourage them. We're going to teach them as older ministers, how do you guard yourself? How do you, how do you finish well this race? You've all started out great, but we want to be sure you finish How do you do that? So we were going to be talking about integrity, talking about those kinds of things. So as we arrived in Montreal on that Monday, the day after I preached this message on avoiding the snares of sexual immorality, uh, I went up to my hotel room when I got the key, uh, went up to the sixth floor there. Uh, In the middle of the afternoon, it was probably about 3.30 in the afternoon, and I went up to the room by myself. We were sharing rooms, but we were rotating because there were three of us, and Jerry and Danny were together in one room at this particular hotel, and then we would switch around as we moved about, okay? So I went up to my room, and I put my things away, just going about my business and uh, getting ready for a little later on. We were going to go to a meeting that night and begin meeting the church planners, I just decided to go over to the window and innocently look out the window on the sixth floor there. Just look, we were in downtown Montreal. I just wanted to look at the city and just take a peek out. When I innocently looked out across the street, directly across the street, uh, in the window of the hotel that was across the street from us, uh, I, I looked out and there was an attractive woman that was in the window. Now, I've seen attractive women, so that's not the temptation so much there. But here is, again, speaking clearly and plainly to you, whenever I looked across the window, it wasn't just an attractive woman. She was completely naked in this window. Completely naked. You know, have you seen the cartoons where the eyes go, or whatever? I'm like, what is this? I look across, I'm like, that is a woman. That is a naked woman, yes. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And again, I want to emphasize that she was attractive. And uh, this was in the middle of the day. This wasn't like at night. There was someone else there. This was in the middle of the day. I have no idea what was going on. Now, I've always heard this from other pastors, and they've always said this, that the first look is innocent and free, all right? That that one's free. It's what you do with the next look or what you do with that next opportunity that that is is where sin can really begin to enter in. Because again, I wasn't looking for this. I'm just looking out to see the buildings or whatever. I was so taken back. Truly, I moved back away from the, from the window. I was so taken back and really just kind of in disbelief and shock a little bit. Honestly, I couldn't believe my eyes. Stepped back from the window. I was literally, my hands were literally trembling at that point. Seriously. Because the temptation, being real with you, the temptation to go back to the window was so strong and powerful. Pulling me like a tractor beam to go back to the window I realized at that moment, I was under spiritual attack from the enemy. The enemy was coming after me. Nobody was in the room with me. I had complete secrecy at that point. Remember what I said about secrecy, right? This was my what happens in Montreal stays in Montreal moment. Very easily could have been that. I immediately thought of my wife at that moment, hope, And I texted her immediately. 
Fortunately, she received the text at that very moment. I thought of her. I sent her a text. I said, you need to pray for me. I told her exactly what happened. I texted Pastor Randy, who is my best friend also, and said, I need you praying for me, brother. I am under attack right now. I told him what was happening at that moment, asking them to pray. And, and I want to, my hands were shaking because I was scared. I'm being real with you. I was scared of two things. Number one, I was scared of myself and the failure that was right literally in my face that I was so, I'm on the cusp of making a decision. I was scared of that. I also was scared of my wife, Hope, who was in the last service, (laughs) who also happens to be a black belt and can kick my face off at any moment. I kid you not. But seriously, remember what I said about immersing yourself in God's word, that the presence of God's word, we have to immerse ourselves in God's word. Even when you don't feel like it, read it, listen to it preached, get in a Bible study where it's being discussed. You've got to immerse yourself in God's word. And fortunately that day, I had made a good decision to immerse myself in the word already. I was on the plane that day, and I was, I was already, I already kind of knew what I was going to preach to these young church pa- planners about, but the Lord gave me a verse. This wasn't in my regular scripture reading that I'm going through. This just happened to be what God gave me at that moment. I opened Psalms to the book of Psalms, and I read this on this day, Psalms 101, verses 2 and 3. This is what I read on the plane before I got to the hotel. I will be careful. David wrote this. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me, God? That's what he's saying. I will lead a life of, what does it say, church? Integrity. I went, oh, wow, this is going to be a great scripture for me to use for the other church planners. That's what I thought. It was for them. Little did I know, it was for me. A life of integrity. In my own home. He said, I want to be a man of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Let me ask you this. Do you think God was getting me ready with the sword of the spirit for the battle that I was about to undergo? I'm glad I decided. And sometimes I don't make a good decision to read God's word when he leads me. Sometimes I decide to do something else. That day I made a good decision to immerse myself in the word. I read the word that day, and I was prepared in my heart. And guys, I want you to know this. I'm not a monk, okay? I'm not super saint. I'm not a superman when it comes to to these kinds of things. I'm a red-blooded man. I'm not super pastor. I am a man. All the men out there, you feeling me in this, right? The draw, the urge to continue in that look. And I'm also not blind, thanks to Dr. Aston, who was in the last service. I can see things. And I saw something at that point. And I know it's easy to look at a situation like this and just minimize it and be like, Bart, you're being ridiculous. You're overreacting. It's just a body. Good grief. You're making a big deal. But here's the thing. It was a body, someone else's body that did not belong to me. And that's just the reality. In fact, Job chapter 31, listen to what Job, who was a righteous man, what he wrote. He said these words. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. It's not because he was a prude. Job was a married man. 
And he understood this and he loved God and he walked with God and he wanted to stay out of sin. And so he made a covenant with his eyes. What did Jesus say about looking with lust? Jesus said, he said, it's a, it's a matter of your heart. It's not just the look, it's what's going on in your heart. It's as if you commit adultery because you're lustful. My eyes and every member of my body belongs first to my Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. I memorized this a long time ago. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's what the word of God says. And Paul's giving an admonition to to Corinthian believers who were struggling with sexual immorality. And he's telling them this. You're not your own. If you're a Christian, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong. Jesus bought you with a price. He paid for us with his blood. He redeemed us with his blood. And, and I started thinking about the fact that I made a covenant with my wife as well. A covenant with my wife that I belong to her, that she belongs to me. Every member of my body, including my eyes, are hers. They're hers. They're not mine. They belong to the Lord and they belong to her. As as I was sitting there on that bed, I was thinking about just the the fact that I was going to be speaking about integrity to these young pastors. And then I started thinking about King David who wrote that. And I thought, David didn't follow his own advice. And he had a failure. And I started thinking about what he, at this moment, the progression of sin. David did not go looking for sin with Bathsheba. Read his story. He was just up there walking on the roof, you know, kind of the wrong place at the wrong time. He looks over, sees the woman there, and he lusts after her, and he begins to make a plan of sin. The progression of sin started with a look, and then it progressed to a lust, and he failed to manage that look. What did he do with that look? It changed his whole life, as you know, his story. It it, it altered the trajectory of his life. His family, the ripple effect in his family, if you read his story, you see it is immense. He had sons and daughters that were warring with one another, and it all emerged out of this sin, I truly believe. Uh, The first look was innocent without sin, and the reason my hands were trembling is because I'm admitting to you how much I wanted to go back to that window. How much the pull was there. I wanted to go back for the show, for the immediate visual gratification, for the voyeurism that I could have experienced at that moment. And again, I'm so thankful for God's word that day because what scares me is if I hadn't immersed myself in the word of God. I'm just being real with you, okay? You may not like that, but you need to hear that today. And you need to pray for your pastors. And you need to pray for people because the attacks are real. Nobody is immune is what I'm communicating to you today. When I went down to the hotel lobby, uh, I called Jerry and I called Danny. And we met down in the hotel lobby. And I said, I need to tell you guys something immediately. I want you to know what just happened to me. First of all, you need to understand, I feel like I'm under attack right now. And I need your prayer. I feel weak. I need your prayer. I need your accountability. I've already communicated with my wife. I've communicated with uh, uh, Pastor Randy. I'm just, I, I have not engaged in any immorality, but I'm, I'm telling you right now that, that there's, a, there's a temptation that was before me. And I just want you to know this, and I want you to pray with me. And guys, by the way, is what I was saying to them is we have a target on our backs. We're trying to make a difference for Christ. We're trying to help church planners. Do you know, if I would have engaged in, in continuing in that, how, would have I, I would have ta- how could I have talked about integrity that week? 
You know, it would have undermined everything that I was there for. Talking about integrity to these guys who were struggling just like we all struggle. I was under attack. And I believe in being open with you. I believe in showing you that I'm just a man just like you are and and that we all go through this, don't we? It's real. Your pastors are going through the struggles of temptation just like you are daily. We need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to, to come out of the secrecy and be in each other's lives and share when we're struggling and, and pray for each other and stop judging each other and help each other, right? Amen? That's what we need to do is to be in each other's lives. And, and I, anyhow, we watched a number, as I thought about this year, a number of ministry leaders this year, people who have made a huge difference in this church who have come under spiritual attack, and some have managed it well, and some have not managed it well, and it's, it's wrecked their lives because we're just people. And they're broken and it was not managed well. And we need to, I don't, I'm not telling you this to make you afraid of Satan. You do not need to be fearful of Satan. Scripture says this, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen, right? But you don't need to be naive. You need to be wary. You need to be alert and understand that the Bible also says that Satan is, he's, he's, seeking you like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you know who he wants to devour? It's the ones who are committed to living for Christ. It's the ones that are wanting to make a difference. It's not the ones that are just living in complacency that aren't, that aren't making any ripples, you know, in the kingdom. It's the ones that love him. It's the one that, that's what I'm trying to say is he goes after. You got to be alert, aware, sober-minded. You need to know this, church. He wants to take our church down. He doesn't like what's happening here. He wants to take your pastors down. He wants to take the church planning movements that are happening in different places in the world down, and he knows how to take that down is by taking the integrity out of the lives of those who are living for Christ. That's what he does. As we continue in looking in Joseph's life in chapter 39, we'll see that Joseph had a what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt kind of moment. He had a critical choice to make. He certainly, I believe, was tempted materially, as we'll, as we'll see that a lot of material possessions were put in his charge. He certainly was tempted positionally as now he is a man of status, as you'll see as we read here. But we'll focus especially on the sensual temptation because that is where he is greatly tempted the most. Let's look in the scriptures together to get context. Chapter 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, remember he was sold by his brothers, He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. As we've looked at his life over the last few weeks, we see that Joseph has gone from being in Jacob's house as the prosperous son to being sold out by his brothers, and now he's a pitiful slave. 
What a life change for Joseph. It was so sudden due to the jealousies of his brothers, the hatred of his older brothers, and, and they, they, they scorned him. They threw him in a pit. They, they were plotting his murder when by the hand of God, now this seems like a bad thing, and it, and it was bad at the time, but as we'll keep reading his story, we see it was the sovereign hand of God bringing these Ishmaelite traitors by. At that moment, they were getting ready to murder their brother. And they decided after arguing about it that they would sell him to these Ishmaelite traders and, uh, and he becomes uh, a human tra- trafficking victim at this point. His brothers sold him into slavery rather than killing him, but they walked out of his life and abandoned him. So he's, he's betrayed by his family. Now he's on the road to Egypt, never thinking he would end up in this place, right? And life just has a way of kicking you when you're down. Can you relate to that? That's exactly what was going on with him. He's on this southbound road to Egypt. Life goes south quickly. As we saw in last week's message, he was abandoned by his family, but Joseph was never abandoned by God. God was always with him, even in the pit, even on the road to Egypt, even in Egypt himself. God never left him. We see God's hand was upon his life, and he kept walking with God. He didn't didn't turn on God. He kept seeking the Lord, as we'll read. And Joseph begins to find great success again. He's been this, he's in this place of slavery, but he's going to begin to prosper, right? And we see this, that he keeps walking with God in those times as well. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this. That was a big point last week. Potiphar noticed and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. And we asked the question last week, when you're going through your Egypt experience, do people see God in you? Do they see that, the world? Do they see God in you? Potiphar noticed the Lord in Joseph and, and get, that, that the Lord was with him, giving him success in everything that he did. And this pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So there must have been material temptation for sure because he was deeply trusted and positional temptation because now... Now he was a man of power. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. What a blessing, right? He's got a guy he can count on. If you're an employer, you love a guy like that, don't you? A guy that's responsible. But what about this Potiphar guy? Who is he? Well, in verse 1, it describes him as the captain of the bodyguards to the Pharaoh who was the king of Egypt. This group of men, as I studied this, they were a group of men who were elite warriors. They were the best of the best. Over and over and protected their king Pharaoh. They were the Egyptian military, a group of rugged warriors, and Potiphar had risen up in the ranks to be the leader over this group of men. As I studied this, uh, one Jewish historian said this. This is very interesting to me that Potiphar uh, was the chief of the executioners. 
He was the chief of those who were in charge of punishing those who do wrong. His business was killing. His business was war. Potiphar was not someone to mess with, right? He had authority and power, no stranger to death and certainly not afraid to execute those who are deserving and keep that in your mind. Potiphar saw something in Joseph though and it wasn't luck. It wasn't anything other than Yahweh himself. He saw that the God of Israel was with this slave. He had other slaves, but there was something about this guy. There's something about him. You know what? I look at him and I don't see him. He could be really bitter. Uh, He told me his story. You know, his brother sold him out. We don't find Joseph bitter and complaining. We find him hard at work. We don't find him uh, plotting revenge. We don't find him entitled. I am the great grandson of Abraham. They did not care. He's not entitled. A lot of times when things go south, people get addicted to things. We don't find him addicted. We find him, and by the way, that's not uncommon. People go to bitterness. They go to all these things. We discussed that last week. It's not uncommon to find when life deals us a hard blow that we, we turn to those things, and that's what many of us can do. What we find is that's not what we find in the life of Joseph. What we find is a man who continues to walk with God, a man who works hard at his job. He's not seeking special favors. He, he works hard with integrity, and, and he gets noticed. because It wasn't because of Joseph. It's because God was with him. He gets noticed. God was all over his life. God was giving him success. And now where he is this pitiful slave, now life is starting to prosper a little. Now life's starting to look up a little bit for him. There's no doubt temptation can oftentimes strike us when life deals us a hard blow. And we're tempted to go to those places I mentioned, bitterness, addictions, turn to those things. No doubt, many times we can feel like when we go through something hard and and we're tempted, we we cave in sometimes because we feel like I deserve this. I'm owed this. I've had a hard life. I'm, I'm going to take what I want here. And, and, but it, this is what we find. We, we don't find Joseph caving in the, in, in the pit experience. That would have been a good place for him to cave into temptation, right? That would have been a good place for him to say, I don't care what you say anymore, God. You failed me. I'm out. I'm going to do whatever. You know, but he didn't cave there. So now Satan, who is behind all of this temptation, now Satan, the sinister one here, the enemy, is saying, you know what? I couldn't get him there, so I'm going to keep probing and find a weakness. And Satan is like, I know what I'll do. I'll use the age-old sly trick of lust that has taken many, many a man down. It's taken many out. So Potiphar has put him in charge. He's deeply trusted. He's on the rise now, right? And he's, he's got this power. He's prospering now. And this is what I want you to see, okay? F.B. Meyer wrote this. He said this, in fact, before I get to what he wrote, he said, you find out what a person is made of when they experience success and prosperity. That's when you begin to find out what you're really made of too, Right? And this is what he wrote so appropriately. We may expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease rather than in those of privation and toil. Not when the youth is climbing arduously the steep ladder of fame, but when he has entered the golden portals or when life is looking up. You better watch out. That's what he says. Not where men frown. 
But where they smile, sweet, exquisite smiles of flattery, it is there, and he repeats it, it is there, he says, that the temptress lies in wait. And what does he say next? Beware. He's not saying be fearful. fearful. He's just saying be cautious. Understand this, that whenever things are going well, you need to understand that's a wise exhortation for us that the temptress is there or the tempter, okay? At least you think that this is only women that are the temptress, right? Uh, it's personified a lot of times that way. But, but, that, but here's the deal. It's just temptation. Temptation in and of itself. And just something we need to heed as a church is we're going through just a great time in our church. This is a great season for EVC, God's hand has been upon EVC 17 years ago whenever we planted it. He, he is, his hand has been upon this church, and the way that I know this is it has survived this idiot right here, okay? And, and God's hand has been on our church, but there has been a season that we've experienced in these last two or three years that have been especially sweet, where we have grown, where church planting consultants on one acre of land, you know you're parking out there, you get it, Right? on a crowded hall. I mean, we're not supposed to grow here. Do you know that? The church planting consultants three years ago told us you'll not grow anymore here. You've got to do something else. Well, in those three years, we've grown exponentially in the last few years, showing them God's in control of the growth, right? God's the one. Now we have plateaued because now we're finally at the place. We can't grow anymore. We're going to be moving out to our new building in 17, 18 weeks over on Basel Road. And you know about it and you've been contributing to that. And it's an exciting time. We took our staff over there this week. They're all excited. This is a big deal. But here I'm excited about the building, but I'm excited more about what God's doing in people's lives. Amen, right? That's just a hub for ministry. That's not who we are. You are who we are. We've been feeling especially led by God to lead our church to be uh, among some of the most generous churches in our generation. We want to give, not, not take for ourselves. We want to give more out. We are were, we were seeking to lead our church this way, our leaders are, to where as we're, as we're turning this ship here, to even as we're moving into a new facility, we want to lead our church to give more out than to keep for ourselves. It's going to take us time to get there, but we are leading in that direction. So all that to be said, do you think that the enemy is happy with that? We want to plant multiple churches. We want to multiply. We want to reach into pockets of the darkness in our community and around America and around the world where nobody's reaching. Do you think the enemy is happy? No. There's a target on the back of this church. There's a target on the back of anybody that wants to live for Christ. You don't have to be fearful. Just be aware. Be aware. Be aware of the strategies. This success is all the success of God. It's not any one personality, it's Jesus Christ. And we need to enjoy and embrace the success of the Lord, but we also need to be sober-minded. We need to be vigilant. Peter tells us to be alert. Paul tells us to be alert, right? And I will tell you this, in my 25 years of ministry, the last year of ministry has been a year that has been so bizarre because I've watched a number of ministry leaders that have come under attack. And as I said a moment ago, some have dealt well with it and managed it well. And there are others that have not. And there are things that I realize, these are attacks of Satan. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's been one thing right after another. He goes after people who want to make a difference. And so be careful, be vigilant, don't be fearful, 
Don't be naive though, right? What about you personally? Our church is enjoying great success. Maybe you are prospering right now in your life. How does it apply to you? You're an up and coming executive at work. Maybe you've just gotten a promotion. Maybe you just got a raise. Maybe you've experienced a spiritual high with God and you feel closer to the Lord than you ever have, right? And that's awesome. I praise God for that. Here's what I want to say just be careful. Be careful, be aware. Because it's so often that in this, in the prosperity that we are so prone to failure, Joseph's story teaches us watchfulness, sober-minded when we're prospering, because he was prospering at this point. He had earned the right to keep, to be deeply respected and trusted by Potiphar. He was a man of integrity, and Potiphar was rewarding him for that. God was rewarding him through Potiphar. Verse 6 says this, and He also had this, Joseph, and every word of God is inspired by God, even this. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. In the Hebrew, that translates this way. He was hot, okay? That's what it translates. This description is found only four other times in Scripture. In describing David, now I want you to think with me, moral failure. In describing Saul, failure. In describing Absalom, who was also a king of the line of David, what do you, what do you know? Failure. And the, other, the fourth time, Joseph. That ought to say something to us. Now, Joseph resisted, as we'll see. But the others had failures. What, is, what do you think that's saying to us? Be careful. We're not above this, right? He was handsome, right? And it's not a sin to be good looking, all right? It's just unfair. It's what we see. He had everything going for him. He was prospering and he's also good looking. Now women are noticing him and they're starting to Notice Joseph. He had these good looks catching the eye of these women. It's not surprising. The enemy was looking for something to exploit in this young man's life. He's probing for weaknesses. He's going to go after him here. Let's try this old strategy of sexual temptation. Let's see how Joseph does here because this has taken many a man down. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. I'd say that is a direct approach. Would you agree? (laughs) Not mincing words. Tad bit on the aggressive side. Potiphar being a man of status, being a man of power, being a man of wealth. You need to understand Potiphar had the pick of his women in Egypt. She most likely was drop-dead gorgeous. In fact, if she wasn't, the story probably wouldn't be in here. But the temptation was so powerful here. Think of how this turn of events was going on. This pitiful slave, now he's been entrusted with this household. He has power now. Joseph's a young man. He's most likely in his mid-20s. Think back on that for some of you that are older. You know the pull. You know the power there. Natural urges. He, he's not a eunuch. He's, he, and nobody's around him. His family's not around. You know, he, he's filled with testosterone. 
Very little accountability because Potiphar was trusting him. And, and here he is. He, he never lost his manly urges. As you'll see, he goes on and God blesses him with a wife and with children. Okay? But here's what I want you to see and think about is the immensity of the temptation that was before him. He's gone through some stuff. Now he could think, this is my time. This is my reward. But here's what I want you to write down as, as this woman slides him, literally slides him the key to his room, to her room. How do you handle it whenever that happens? Temptation will entice you to rationalize and justify your actions. It will entice you into rationalizing. This would have been the place to do this, where he had been in the pit, betrayed, gone through stuff, life did him wrong. Now he's far from home. This was his what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt moment. Now he's become prosperous. It would have been easy for him to take advantage of this. Maybe at this point he could have rationalized. You know, this job is just so stressful. He's given me so much to do. It's an enormous task, you know, and he's not paying me anything really much. And he could have got made, you know what I'm saying? It's easy to start rationalizing this. He could have, he could have self-indulged at this moment here. Many a man would have caved in. Many a man would have thought, you know, I've been through some stuff in my life. I, I'm due a little relief here. I'm due a little indulgence. Or he could have thought this, who's going to know? Who's going to know? I am only human. That would have been a good justification. I am a man, right? And a man with all this. That could have been what he said as well because he was good looking, right? It's at this place of decision that temptation can really pour on the rationalizations to us. And it whispers in our ear. You're getting overworked at the office. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. They're not paying me enough. Maybe it's not that big of a deal for me to take some of this for myself, right? They ought to pay me more. I can pay some of my bills. I deserve this. Or I've been going through so much lately. I've just been in this pit, you know, drinking a little bit more right now. I kind of need to numb out. I can rationalize that. Or, or my husband, he just doesn't pay any attention to me. So I'm going to get in that relationship that is not going to be good for anybody. Or my wife doesn't meet my needs, so I'm going to seek that elsewhere, you know. That's a rationalization. Or just this once, you know, never again. Or who will ever find out? Or how about this one? Well, we're going to be married one day or maybe pretty soon, so what's the big deal? Man, I just deserve a break today. Do you hear the rationalization whispering in our ears? I mean, even McDonald's said you deserve a break, right? That's what the world tells us. It tells us that over and over. Very direct question for you right now. Is there something, and this is really a point of application, in your life, no judgment right here, no condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn us if we're in Christ. Amen, praise God. But he's been trying to get your attention about something and you're teetering on the edge of making a very bad decision. And you've been listening to the voices of the rationalizations and you've been tuning out the voice of God who's saying, look, I love you. I want you to make a good choice here. Joseph was prospering at this, this moment, right? 
And now he has this ethical question that is in front of him, a moral question. Maybe some of you, you're at that place of something unethical that's going on at work, and you're like, I'm just, I'm just so close to making a bad decision, you know? Or maybe there's something immoral, and, and someone has been pursuing you, or maybe it's through Facebook or whatever. You've connected with an old flame. I mean, it happens. I've seen it happen many times. And you're on the verge, teetering on the verge of making a very bad decision. And here's the point I want to make to you right now is Joseph, although he was prospering, was still in Egypt, in a rough place, but he's prospering in Egypt. Here's what I notice. Don't make matters worse or your situation worse by doing something you'll regret. Sometimes we're prone to making bad decisions and rationalizing in this kind of place. No matter what the ad says, brilliant ad, but no matter what the ad says, what happens in Vegas does not really stay in Vegas. It doesn't. By the way, God is in Vegas too. God was in the room with me in that hotel room in Montreal. God is with you when you go on that business trip. Are you following me? Right? Nobody else is looking. He is. Joseph was aware of this in the midst of the prosperity. By the way, you know, the scripture says the one who conceals his sin doesn't prosper. Proverbs says that. You're not going to prosper. The Bible also says, be sure your sins will surely find you out. The word of God says that. That's not me being condemning. That's just God's word saying, don't go down that road. It's not going to be beneficial for you. You may have immediate gratification, but it's not going to be a good thing for you or for anybody else. Back to his story. She continues in her sexual advances towards him. But Joseph refused. Remember those words. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. I mean, he's, he's saying this. How could I do such a wicked thing? How could I do this? It would be a great sin against Notice he doesn't even just say Potiphar here, although I think he has him in mind, but what does he say? A great sin against God. The one who has walked with me through all of this. Quick things here, just just, this could be a whole message right here, but here's the key. Joseph refused. He refused. That ought to say something to us. They're assuring words. Every word of God is inspired. He refuses uh, here. He, He wasn't bulletproof from temptation or sin. We find this, but he was resolved. And I'm convinced he was resolved ahead of time to choose to do the right thing even when no one else is looking. I'm confused he was walking with God. I mean, I believe he was walking with God. I believe that this is something that was was a part of his life as he went through this confusing time of what to do. He'd already predetermined this. She was direct with him, right? He was direct right back. He almost, I mean, it almost could seem rude. And you'll see she was not happy by his response. We'll look more next week at that. But he says this. This isn't right. It's not right. I'm not going to, did you notice he talked about another person here? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this to Potiphar. 
I'm not going to do this to my God who has walked with me every step of the way from the pit to Egypt. He even calls it what it is. He says, this is wicked. This would be sin. He doesn't make excuses. He just calls it what it is. This would be sin. He's not justifying it. Stop making excuses. Write this down. Number five, temptation may lead you to choose your lust over your loyalties. You choose your lusts over your loyalties, those who you are called to be loyal to. Here's the point. Joseph clearly understood that if he were to cave into this temptation, just as we do, that it affects more people than just the ones we think. It is a ripple effect. Joseph not only had a healthy fear of the man who was the chief of executioners, I believe there was probably some fear there, but here's what I also know. And you find this as you read it. It does seem that he's grateful to Potiphar. There's a loyalty there. A loyalty that he realized this is going to affect Potiphar. This is going to affect other people. We don't hear anything about Potiphar's kids, or, but, it, but it would affect them. He had a loyalty, loyalty to Potiphar. He cared about what this was going to do to another person. And here's what you've got to do if you haven't done this already. I'm serious. You have to do this. If you haven't yet, we all need to do this. We need to think through right now. Think through at this moment the ramifications If you yield to the temptation, the ramifications that go beyond just yourself or the consenting other party. What's it going to be like if you steal that money? It's not just you. It's going to hurt your family. What's it going to be like if you choose to indulge in sexual immorality or that illicit affair? We can so easily forget this, that the choice of immorality can destroy the lives of those who aren't even in the bedroom, right? That's what it does. Joseph knew this. There was a loyalty to Potiphar. We need to, and I think back on my situation in Montreal when I was there and I was just I'd immerse myself in the word of God, and then I started thinking about my wife. I started thinking about my kids. I'm telling you, I started thinking about you, the congregation that has entrusted me, you know, with this pastorate here. I started thinking about guys like Joey, uh, who led worship this morning. You know, Joey was in my youth group whenever I was a youth pastor at another church. I started thinking about some of those guys and the impact that that... I've been in a church where sexual immorality uh, took down not only the man of God in that place but destroyed families. I've seen it firsthand. Oh, it's a wreck, right? And here's what I thought. One act of carnality and self-indulgence into that sin is a poor exchange for a a lifetime of lost legacy. I thought about those church planners I was going to be talking to in just a matter of hours. It's real. Right? A couple more quick things. If you're teetering on that edge, think about the ripple effect. You have to think about who it's going to affect. Temptation is never one and done. The Cowboys, the Rangers, the Mavericks, they all one and done in the playoffs, right? Unfortunately, and I'm bitter about it. (laughs) Temptation never is one and done. It keeps coming. It will never ease up on you. Look at this. 
She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. This was going on. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as, what's the word? Possible. Just again, another side point. You might need to change your set of friends if they're leading you into inappropriate places. You might, you might want to set some standards up prior to making a decision, right, or being tempted. You, you might want to be sure, you know, to do your best if you're married to not put yourself in a place where you're compromising or you're alone with someone of the opposite sex. Now, I know sometimes that's unavoidable at work as we see it was unavoidable for Joseph. But do you see that he tried? He tried to, to remove himself as much. He avoided her. I imagine she was just full court press on him right? Coming at him over and over again, pressuring him, probably even trying to, 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 to be passive aggressive with him. Here's the point. We need to stop tempting temptation. We've got to understand our own weaknesses. Avoid all appearance of evil is what Paul says. Do your best to avoid it. But know this, that even in those times, it still is going to come at you. One day, However, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. That's pretty clear, right? It's a strong biblical counsel for every one of us today that thinks that we are strong enough just to keep bargaining with temptation. Look, here's the point. Temptation is not to be reasoned with. You got to run. Get yourself out of there. Remove yourself from the situation. Joseph ran away. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, run from sexual sin. Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful passions. He's a young pastor. Paul's pouring into this young pastor. If you try to reason with your lusts, you try to reason and rationalize, you will mess up at some point because we all go through seasons of weakness. That's why you got to remove yourself. Joseph, along with Paul, so many others, they just say, you've got to run. you got to remove yourself. And I wish I could tell you that everything perfectly worked out for Joseph because of his good decision. We'll pick up next week and see that sometimes... Even when you do the right thing, you pay for it. And he did. But here's what you'll also see. God never left him. He may have lost his job and go to prison, but he never lost his integrity. And that's what God blessed. Here's the final thing. Write this down. Temptation, what we see in Joseph, does not mean giving in is a given. He refused. Because of Jesus, we have hope and power. Amen, right? You're not facing this battle on your own. Last scripture. If you think, 1 Corinthians, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. 
He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are, not if you are, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God will always show us a way out. We got to open our ears, open our eyes, and we got to walk with him daily. I want to invite you to prayer with me right now. God is not anti-sex. He created it. He made it for a husband and a wife to enjoy. God is pro you. And he loves you and he doesn't want you to mess your life up. Maybe you're facing some temptations right now. Maybe you've already yielded. God's power, I want you to know, is it, a, it is available for those of us who are being tempted. It is available. He wants to show you a way out. Maybe today is the way out that he's showing you. He's helping you see you're not alone. You're not facing this by yourself. Don't make life harder by making a bad situation worse with another bad decision. God's calling you right now. He wants you to do the right thing. Maybe you've already had a failure. You've, you've succumbed to some temptation and you're ashamed. And you're, you're, this series or this, this message particularly, it hurts But I want you to hear something today that God's grace extends beyond any sin in our life. Amen. And he invites you to come to him. He says, stop concealing that sin. Confess it to him. If we confess, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what he says he'll do. He wants you to come to him in your brokenness. Satan wants you to to not come to God. He wants you to just kind of numb yourself out and turn away. God is saying, no, come to me. Come to him right now. And if we as your pastors, you've heard me be open with you. If you need to be open with us, if we as your pastors, if we can help you, that is our heart. It's not to condemn you. It's to come alongside you. To hold your arms up in a time of weakness. It's not to judge you. We want to help you. Stop rationalizing. Repentance is a beautiful thing turn to God let me just pray for us Father thank you for the truth we find in your word today thank you that there is no temptation that is too great that you do not give us a way out thank you for Jesus thank you for his forgiveness thank you for the power thank you for stories like Joseph that show us and forewarn us and prepare us Father would your grace just flow over your people today Those that are hurting today, would you encourage them? Those that have made mistakes, would you just come in the midst of their brokenness? Bind them up. Redeem those things. Make them new. Give them a comeback story, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.